0: Well, again, I say good morning. It's great to have so many guests, family, friends here with us uh, this morning. Please, again, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a church home, uh, someplace that you worship regularly, please uh, feel free uh, to come back and join us again. We would. We would love that. We would be honored to have you uh, join us again here at Zion because, again, one of the things that we love to say here at Zion is no matter no matter who you are or where you would kind of put yourself on your faith journey, and we say it this way, some people know, <laughs> they just know that they're far from God, and if you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm far from God and I know it, great, we're glad you're here and we welcome you. Some people would say, you know what, I, I used to follow God. I'm really not now. And maybe you would say, I'm, I'm starting to think about making my way back to faith, back to church. You're finding your way back uh, to him. Um, great. We would love to help you uh, continue your path back toward uh, your, you know, uh, your walk uh, of faith in, in your life. Some of you may be here and you're like, I'm just trying to figure out if I believe in God. Cool. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we, we, we really try to be a church that recognizes and respects everybody's faith journey and helps them take, in, wherever they're at in that journey, those next steps that we pray and believe uh, can and ought to lead you to get to the place where you fully lean in to faith and, and, and what it means to follow Jesus. Because we just believe it, at Zion that, that following Jesus makes our lives better, and it makes us better at living our lives. And so, uh, again, this fall, I want to get everybody caught up, this fall as a church, we've been working through a classic Bible study called Experiencing God. And so we're, today I think we're in week seven of Experiencing God, so if you kind of think think of it this way, that if you're here for the first time, you're kind of coming in in the middle of the movie. Right, that there's been a lot of story that's been told, a lot of plot that has been developed, and so um, you know you're kind of coming in at the mid midway point of this 12 week journey that we've been on. So uh, that said, I want to try to get you caught up really quickly uh, so that this morning makes more sense for everybody. In Experiencing God, this book by Henry Blackaby, uh, the author uses as kind of the backdrop for what he teaches, the story of Moses, uh, and, and, and in the book and in the workbook that we're working through, he teaches what he refers to as the seven realities of experiencing God. And um, what I want to do is I just want to real quickly highlight what, we're, what, what point we're up to and kind of remind us of the story of Moses. Because I, I think for most people, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, you have at least some you know some recollection, some, some kind of knowledge of Moses' story. So I'm going to quickly review using the realities. One of the first things that we learned uh, in our series is that God is always at work. As a matter of fact, that's That's the first reality of experiencing God, is understanding that God is always at work around us. In in Moses' story, God was actively at work in the lives of the Hebrew people. Why? Because they had been slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, and God was about to move on their behalf. And God's plan was to free them from slavery in Egypt and let them go to the land that he had promised them. He, was, he, was all, he is always at work. He was always at work. And uh, we see him at work in Moses' life. And so the next reality is, is this statement. Is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you. And if you study Moses' life, you'll, you'll find that, that God was always pursuing him. From the time that he was a baby, being put in a basket and floated down the Nile by his mom, God was consistently pursuing Moses so that Moses could be part of what God was up to. Which leads us to the next point, and in the, in the, in the next reality is this, is that God invites us, God invites you to be involved in his work. Uh, again, in Moses' story, that was the, the big moment in Moses' life, right? It's the, the burning bush moment. It's God inviting Moses to participate in his work of leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt. Right? Moses, no doubt about it, played a crucial role in the unfolding of God's plan for his people. And, and then we've learned over the last couple of weeks and this is where we've been the last, the last two weeks, is that God speaks. That God speaks to his people in a number of ways. He speaks by the Holy Spirit, that every, whenever we hear God speak, that at the end of the day, the, the Holy Spirit is behind it all. He uses the Bible to speak to us, he uses prayer, he uses circumstances, and he uses the church to reveal himself to reveal his purposes, to reveal his plans, to reveal his ways. And so again, how God spoke to Moses was quite unique. He literally showed up in a burning bush to speak to Moses. And I'm not saying uh, that we are ever going to hear from God through a burning bush, but it doesn't mean, and we've learned this over the last two weeks, Just because we don't hear God in a burning bush doesn't mean that we don't hear from God. God continually speaks to his people. He continually speaks to his people, and his speaking to us is his invitation to us to join him in what he wants to do in the world. And so this morning, I want to kind of pick up from there. And so today, let's make an assumption, all right? let 's just kind of play pretend, well, hopefully it 's not pretend, hopefully this is a reality, but let's let's make this assumption very simply that we have heard God speak. okay Can we just assume that this past week or over the last last month or maybe this coming week, every single one of us hears from God? It might be through prayer, it might be through reading the Bible through the circumstances that we begin to go, wait a second, I think God is moving some pieces around and he's using these pieces, these moments in my life to say something to me. Maybe it's through the church. Maybe you've had a conversation with somebody in this church family that you're like, I really think that maybe God was using that conversation to say something to me. So, so that's what we're assuming today, right? We are assuming that every single one in this room has heard God speak. Got it? Say, I've heard God speak. All right. Now we've got to figure out what's next. What comes next? And this leads us to the next reality of experiencing God. And the reality is this is that when God speaks, we will face a crisis of belief. We will face a crisis. Of belief, If you go back to the story of Moses, if you know anything, grew up in Sunday school or have ever watched the movies, right? The cartoon or Charlton Heston. When God shows up in a burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people from the hands of Egypt. Moses' response was not, yippee, I've been waiting for you to ask me. I'm the man for the job. No, Moses' response, his reaction was, you got the wrong guy. I'm not the guy for the job. I don't speak good. I don't have any moral authority with my people. Remember, I had to run because I killed a guy. They're not going to believe me. And so Moses' crisis of belief was very clear. God invited him on mission on on a journey to trust him because of Moses uh, God was wanting to use Moses to do something in the world and Moses faced a crisis and, and when you hear the word crisis what, what do we mean well you'd have to ask Dr. Blackaby why he chose the phrase crisis of belief because for me when I hear crisis I hear something bad something tragic a phone call, right? That you weren't expecting and didn't want, right? Something happened while you're out driving and, and you you know get into a car wreck or you you know you, you get that 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 news from the doctor. What the, the crisis when I when I hear the word crisis, I automatically think something bad. But the truth of the matter is that word crisis, the root of that, the, the etymology of the word is not uh, something bad, but the, 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 the root of crisis has more to do with a decision that has to be made, right? And, and again, I'm not Dr. Blackaby, but perhaps a helpful way to, to read or think about that phrase crisis of belief, if you just can't get past that word crisis, is just think about the word crossroads, a crossroads of belief. You come to a point where now there's a fork in the road, there's a you know, there's a T moment in the road, and you're like, okay, what am I gonna do? I've got to make a decision. And the, the truth of the matter is when we hear God speak, that is a crossroads moment. That is a decision-making moment. We have to stop and ask ourselves: do I trust God enough? to follow him where he's leading me and inviting me to join him in his work? That's the question when we get to those crises of belief, those crossroads of belief. Am I going to trust him? That's one decision. Or am I going to just say no? See, this is going to happen every time you hear God speak. Whenever God invites you to join him in his work, there will be a crisis, a crossroads that calls for you to take some kind of a step of faith. Some kind of a step of faith. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how many times that you have said yes to that crossroads moment, to that crisis moment over the years in your past, it's still going to have a little bit of a risk factor involved when God brings you to that crisis of belief. You're still going to have to wrestle with it. We still have to ask ourselves questions like, am I willing to let go of something in order to take hold of this this new thing, this next thing that I believe God is leading me to embrace? When God speaks to us, there's going to be something that we have to do to join him in his work. And that's something that we're asked to do by God will often make us very uncomfortable. more uncomfortable than my awkward silence right now. But that's the reality. When we hear God speak, the next thing that we will probably feel will be a level of uncomfortable, uncomfortability. Which leads me to this question. How has God made me uncomfortable lately? How has God made you uncomfortable lately? If you can pinpoint, if you can begin to articulate that, what I would tell you is that you've been hearing from God. You have been hearing from God because he has been saying things to you that make you a little bit uncomfortable. And why do we feel uncomfortable? It's because we love chasing comfort. We chase after, we'll, we will do whatever we can to be comfortable. We don't chase discomfort. We don't chase being uncomfortable. We chase after things. We try to create a world where everything is super cozy, comfortable, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, no stress whatsoever. That's the kind of life that we would choose often for ourselves. But following Jesus... Man, it really is a life of uncomfortableness because God continues to bring us to those moments. See, the truth of the matter is we can't say that we believe in the God of the universe, that we have given our lives to the God of creation, that we have said yes to following the Savior of the world and not expect that there are going to be times when he taps us on the shoulder when he speaks to us in our spirit, in our heart, when when he does things in our life that make us uncomfortable. In fact, being a follower of Jesus should mean that we grow comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why? Because we've come to understand that God will invite us to join him. And that means that we will have to do something in order to follow him in faith. I will have to do something, you will have to do something if we're going to follow him in faith. See, encounters with God, experiencing God, following God, requires faith. Second Corinthians five, seven says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. As followers of Jesus, we don't make decisions based on what we see, we make decisions based on faith, based on, based on what we've heard we 've listened and tried to discern the answer to these questions, questions of where is God leading me? where is God taking me? How, how ready am I to embrace the uncertainty that 's going to come if I want to if i 'm truly going to experience God in my life? I want us to to look real quickly at three stories in mark 's Gospel that Demonstrates, at least to me, a variety of ways that we can choose to respond in those moments when God makes us uncomfortable. There are those moments when, when we feel the tug of God, when we hear what we perceive to be the voice of God, and that, that, that voice, that tug is inviting us to a place of uncomfortability, I I see, there's probably more, but I I just want to to look at three quick stories that give us three different ways that we can respond to those uncomfortable moments. The first one is in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I'm just going to read the story and maybe stop along the way. Again, if you're familiar with the Gospels, these are fairly familiar stories. If you're not familiar with the Gospels, again, these these were written by by Mark, uh, who, again, uh, historians say that Mark was probably hanging out with Peter. Mark wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, um, but he was a a companion of Peter's, and so a lot of people would would have concluded that this is really Peter um, telling Mark his story, Peter given Mark his firsthand account of what he experienced as he was traveling and walking and following Jesus in his life. And so um, the pace of, of Mark's gospel is a little bit different than the rest of them. There's not as much detail. It's kind of like Peter's got to get this stuff out. I got to tell you this, got to tell you this, got to tell you this. And so the movement in, in Mark's gospel is a little bit different uh, than, than the rest. So in Mark chapter 10, Mark records this account says this, starting in verse 17. It'll be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, please stop and get one. It says that as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Fair question. Good question. The right question. It's a question that every single one of us need to wrestle with. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, Uh, honor your father and mother. Again, Jesus says, uh, why do you call me good? Uh, Not because he wasn't God, but to poke at the reality that, hey, if you're calling me good, what you're saying is that I'm God, which in Reality was the truth. Jesus was and is God in the flesh. Verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I followed all of those commands. And Jesus, looking at him, in this next statement, loved him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing, Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And, here's the invitation, come, follow me. Verse 22, one of the saddest verses in the scripture. Mark says this, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. A Rich Young Ruler, this this story is a a story that kind of puts in perspective the the, the fact that when we are given an invitation by God, we have a choice to make. And that choice to make can lead us away from God as opposed to toward God. Jesus' invitation was a very simple one. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do it. But the why behind it gives us some insight. The the why was because he was wealthy, because he had great possessions. He had achieved for himself a measure of comfort in his life. Why? Well, doesn't money tend to do that? Isn't that what we strive for oftentimes when we're seeking to raise our bottom line is I want to be more comfortable in my life. So if you're taking notes, here's what I wrote down about this story, and I, and I, I, think, it, I, I think this bears out in, in, in our life, is this. Is that when we face a crisis of belief, and God makes us uncomfortable, we will say no when we believe that a yes will cost us too much. And, and, and for the rich young ruler... The cost was his wealth because what did Jesus say? He said, go and sell your wealth. Sell all your possessions and come and follow me. See, for, for him, his idol was his money. And for many of us in this room, he'd be like, well, that's not a problem for me because I ain't got none, right? And that's probably true and fair, but just because money isn't an idol, there are other things that might be an idol to you. Other possessions might be an idol. Your family might be an idol to you. Your the pleasures that you seek out in life might be an idol to you, and so when we when we read the story, our tendency is to focus on, oh my, oh my, Jesus asked him to sell everything. I could never do that. I could never do that again. He said that directly to that particular man because that's what he had embraced as an idol in his life. Jesus was speaking to those idols, or to that idol in his life. Don't focus on the sell everything and give to the poor, which is what we tend to do when we read that. And we're like, well, I can't believe Jesus would ask that. I would never, I can't never, you know. Is that if I, Do I have to sell all my, do I have to empty my bank account in order to follow Christ? No, the answer is no. It's really about giving up our idols. Instead, our focus should be on the next phrase that Jesus uses in the story. Come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. And that's the hard part for many of us. Why, because we're too consumed with this life, the here and now, today, tomorrow, the next day, the next month, the next year, and we spend very little time wrestling with the thought of eternity. And the life that is to come. So when we hear God speak and he says, sacrifice this, surrender that, let go of something else, we're tempted to be disheartened. And we will always walk away sorrowful if we're convinced that saying yes what Jesus is asking of us, will cost us too much. Rather than walking away sorrowful when Jesus speaks, focus on what is to gain if and when we say yes. But that's one thing that we can do when we feel uncomfortable. When God makes us uncomfortable, we can choose to say, nope, not gonna do it. And some of us have been saying that for years. Not going to do it. I refuse. I refuse to take that step. I refuse to make that move. I I refuse to have that conversation. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse, I refuse. I don't want you to continue to be disheartened. I want you to find that He, Jesus, is the better treasure than whatever it is that you personally are holding on to in your life. Let's turn back a page to another story. Again, another story that I've always. Uh, enjoyed and appreciated. It's a little bit of a lengthier story, but I'm going to kind of read the whole story just so you can see see the whole thing play out. This is Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Mark says this, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, Jesus speaking now, what what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. And here's why. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. This is a man whose son, again, has got, again, whether they were just serious medical issues, or this is a man, again, who was demonized. The father, in desperation, brings him to Jesus. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. And then he says to Jesus, "But if you, but if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us." And Jesus' response is, "If you can, if you can, I, I, are you serious? All things are possible for one who believes." Immediately, of the father, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, "And here's the statement: I believe. Help my unbelief." Let me get to that in a minute. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Powerful miracle. But let's focus on the father's honesty. He said, Jesus... I brought them to you because I've heard about you. I, I brought them to you because my understanding is that you, you want us to, to bring our needs to you. So I did. But i got to be honest with you. Inside of my, my heart, inside of my mind, even though I'm here and even though I can say I believe, there's a part of me that just wonders... There's a part of me that just is kind of questioning. There's a part of me that just isn't all in, isn't quite sure. Again, the father hadn't been following Jesus. This from what we understand, this was his first encounter. He may have heard and heard stories but didn't know firsthand what he could do. And I I appreciate. I appreciate the honesty of the Father. Right? So again, the truth is even when he, when he says yes and the father, the father brings him, like there was still doubts about what was going to happen next. And so what's my takeaway with this story? It's this, and, and write this down. When, when we face a crisis of belief and God makes us uncomfortable, we will express doubt when we lack understanding about who God is and what he wants us to do in our lives. And let me just say this, and this is okay. I think part of faith includes some doubt. I get leery of Christians who are afraid to express their humanity in their walk with Christ. And I think that's what we're seeing in this father, is just his Humanity. I think the more we trust God in those crisis of faith moments, the more we say yes, the, the doubts will begin to maybe dissipate some, but they'll never disappear entirely. At least that's been my experience, walking with Jesus. That there's, there's a part of doubt that comes with our faith. See, what we do when God speaks reveals what we believe about him. And the best way to increase our faith is when we have doubts. Instead of walking away, say yes. In spite of those doubts. Again, that's what the father did. He brought his son to Jesus it's like, I think you can do something. I believe you can do something. There's a part of me that wonders, but Jesus, I'm here. And sometimes that's all we can do. In the middle of hearing God speak, all we can do is say, Jesus, I believe, like, I'm struggling, but I'm here. There's something in my mind that just wonders if or when, but I'm here. I'm trusting you. That's okay. That's Okay. I think God sees that. He understands that. Again, think about the father and the son. Their lives were changed because the dad didn't let his doubts keep him from believing that Jesus wanted him to trust him. What are some things that you have let a measure of doubt, however big or small, keep you from experiencing God, even though you know he's spoken to you? See, some of you, you've heard God speak and you're waiting for every ounce of doubt to go away before you take any step. Can I tell you something? You'll never take that step. You just won't. Ha- having that fear, having that little bit of doubt, and saying, you know what? I'm still going to trust you, I'm still going to move forward that will grow your faith more than anything else. You know, for years at Zion, we've talked about how do we grow in our faith, how do we grow in our faith, how do we grow in our faith, and one of the things that we've taught over the years is do something that requires faith. If you wanna grow your faith, do something that actually requires faith. And in order to do that, you have to embrace a little bit of doubt. You have to. You can't get away from it. Because if there's no doubt, there's no faith. Because you're, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. But there's something about, like, I believe this is what God has said. What if it goes bad? What if I'm not the right person? What if I heard wrong? Ah, I, ah, I'm i going to go. That God honors that. The truth of the matter is we're only going to be about 80% certain in any given decision that we make when it comes to trusting God. There's not a verse to back that up. Just walking with Christians for years, is, that's about all we can figure, is about 80%. I'm, I'm 80% certain this is what God wants me to do. And that to other 20% might feel like, look like, seem like a measure of doubt. And let me just say this, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, don't let whatever doubt you have keep you from the truth that he loves you, that he died for you, that he allowed his blood to be spilt for you, that he was buried for you, and three days later, he rose again for you. And I know we live in a time where we're doubt about things of of faith because of science and technology, and what about this and this YouTube video, and I read this book, and I went to this lecture, and I heard this one-time thing, it's, it's rampant. You can find reasons to doubt. You really can't. You don't have to look far. But if you could just keep coming back to, did Jesus do what he said? Did, do I believe he lived, died, and was buried and rose again? Put all of your weight in that reality and see if God can't begin as you journey with him answering those doubts that you have. Let me give you one more turn back to the beginning of Mark's gospel Mark chapter 2 this is the easy one this is the fun one this is the one that you know pastors, preachers want to lead with and just be like We're all, this is where we all need to be nah, let's go right? And, I, and, and, and I'll add to that yes and amen I, I want us to all be here when we face the crisis of belief I, I do and you'll see why in just a minute Mark chapter 2, Mark says this. He says, starting in verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Why? They were fishermen. That's what they do. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And then these next words, and immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Jesus calling his first disciples. I mean, can you imagine the moment? These fishermen, these guys who woke up early every day, worked hard all day, came home stinky, smelly every night. Every day was the same thing. After the same thing. After the same thing. They were just doing life, hard life, as it were. And Jesus comes along, and for some for some reason, his words resonated with them. His words resonated with them. His persona carried some weight. And again, let's just think humanly speaking. Like we can look, we have the, the the luxury of looking back, right? We know the story, but these guys, these guys hadn't heard Jesus teach a lesson yet. He had not yet performed any miracles in their presence. But there was something about his invitation that made them say, "I want that. I want that. I'll, I'll do that." They. We can say it this way they embraced the uncertainty of the invitation and of what their lives would become. And because they accepted the invitation and the uncertainty to follow Jesus, to stop what they were doing, their lives were changed and the whole world was changed. See, I'm convinced that we are too content with the status quo of life, mundane living is the norm for most of us. We just wake up every day, and we just go through the rhythms. We go through the routines. There's no adventure. There's no risk. There's no uncertainty. There's no faith involved in how we live most of our lives, day after day after day. I'm gonna say it this way. This is uh, not original with me. i paraphrased it to fit with what we're talking about today but but we live such subnormal lives of faith that a normal life of faith one where we continually face a crisis of belief and say yes to God's invitation that kind of life that kind of living seems abnormal we live such subnormal that a normal life feels and looks abnormal. And it ought not be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you're taking notes, you can write this down about this third story. When we face a crisis of belief and God makes us uncomfortable, we will say yes immediately if we're convinced that God's promise of what's to come is better than what currently is. And I can promise you those disciples had no clue of what was, to be, what was to come for them. They couldn't have, not completely. But they believed that a simple invitation from a rabbi to follow them, to lead them to become fishers of men, was a better way of living than just catching fish every day. And I can promise you this. If you begin to live your life in a way that every time you hear God speak, you recognize it as a crisis of belief, and you know that God is inviting you to join him in his work, you're going to have to take a step of faith. If you just get to the place where you just continually say yes, 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 it will be because you're convinced that the yes is going to lead you to a better place in your faith journey than where you currently are living and what you're, conti- what you're currently experiencing. So again, what if we began to normalize accepting God's invitation instead of resisting it? Well, what could happen in our lives and in our church if we push through our doubts and begin to say yes whenever we hear God speak? I think amazing things can and will happen if and when we do that together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to put up, we're going to just run through one more thing. I want to kind of give you a, a, a this is what, if you're reading the book or the workbook, this is what you've actually maybe been reading, depending on how you're breaking your, your own personal time down or where you're going to go this week. These are some of the statements that you're going to see this week. And I want to put it up on the screen because I think this is the best week so far of the study. And I, I, for those of you that maybe aren't going through the workbook or aren't reading the book, I want you to at least see these statements because this week I want to challenge you, everyone, to wrestle with these statements. And here's statement number one. Encounters with God are God-sized. They're God-sized. What do you sense God inviting you to do that is bigger than you, that you can't possibly accomplish on your own? That's a God sized assignment. And I want to encourage you when when you sense a God sized assignment, trust Him. Uh, Another statement that you'll read is that we cannot stay where we are and go with God. We cannot stay where we are and go with God. We're going to keep pounding this home. Where do you need to go in order to join Him? Go next door, go to school. Go across the street. Go to another nation. You can't stay where you are where you are, and go with God. The third thing is you're going to read and wrestle with this week, I hope, is we have to make changes in our lives to follow God. What changes do you need to make? And don't say, well, I'm good. We all need to make changes. Every single one of us. And here's another truth that I think is really good. It's that God partners with people who will trust him before seeing the results. That's the disciples. The disciples trusted him before they ever saw the results. Are you willing to go to say yes to God even though you may not know what's going to happen next? And then the last thing is this. When God speaks, what we do next reveals what we really believe about him what we do next. At the end of the day, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And so let me just end with this statement. What's your next? What's your next? Again, for some in the room, it's, it's, you've got to trust Him for your salvation. Some of you need to believe the gospel for the first time in your life and put your faith in Him. That's your next. For others, it's to take steps that maybe you've been holding off on. Again, whether it's baptism or getting into a discipleship group or having that conversation with your brother or your sister or your neighbor or your friend. Whatever that is, your your next might might be to make some kind of a career adjustment. Your your next might might be starting some kind of a nonprofit. Not everybody is called to start nonprofits, but God calls some to do new things in communities. Your next might be uh, starting a Bible study at work where you're going to use it to to share the gospel with your co. Like it, the next is in it, it just dream and listen to what God might be saying to you. What is your next. And if you know what your next is, trust him and tell someone about it. Tell someone, I believe this is what God wants me to do next in my life. And there's no better time than the present. As we get ready to sing, uh, our, our, you know, the front here is always open. Our, this is a time to respond. And we want to invite you to do that, to respond, to tap somebody on the shoulder to pray, hey, I, I believe this is what God's been saying to me, and I believe my next step is. If you're not sure what God is saying, but you sense him saying something to you and you just need or want somebody to pray with you, we'll have D group leaders down here, we'll have uh, elders down here, and, 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 and if you just want somebody to pray for you, you just come down here kneel and pray, somebody will come and just pray with you. But this is a time for us to respond to whatever God may be saying to you uh, and to us in this moment. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We give you the glory for whatever it is that you're doing and accomplishing in our hearts in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond as God leads us.